Uh, we're, we've been talking about Jesus, the light that leads to life this month. And uh, I asked Joy to come help me today. We're going to kind of tag team this message this morning. Uh, if you know Joy, she's a very gifted and, and, uh, and wonderfully anointed speaker and, and teacher. And so uh, she's going to help me today. And uh, I'm just excited to share the platform with her. We're, we're talking about um, our series is called Jesus, the Light that Leads to Life. And what we've been talking about over these last few weeks, we started off the month with Easter, of course, and then we talked about his light in me and his light through me. And today we're going to talk about his light through we. We're talking about the community of believers, the body of Christ. The Bible calls us a body of Christ. And so uh, I want to talk about that with you today. Uh, my text verse is out of John 8. I know you've been standing and sitting a lot. I want to ask you one more time, maybe. Uh, if you'll stand with me, just, to, just in honor of reading God's word. His word deserves it, I believe. John 8, verse 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We all need that wonderful light that we get from walking with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me today? Father, we love you and we thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we are so, so blessed to be able to come and be in your presence today. I thank you for everyone that's here in this place. I thank you for everyone that's watching online. I, pray for, I thank you for everyone that's going to be watching this later. And I ask, Lord, that your words would speak to our hearts, that our hearts, as we always say, that it would be good soil, that your word would produce fruit in our lives for our good and for your glory. We bless you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, I hope she keeps them straight today. <laughs> He's really scared that I'm going to go off script like I did first service, if I'm honest. Yeah, we That's have like four pages of notes, and I think she used about a quarter of one page of notes. Uh, it's just funny because, you know, we do things so differently. We're, we're so... We have a, a really great marriage. We've been married 20 years, have three kids, and uh, yes, praise God, he's been good to us. And, uh, and, and we, we, we are like-minded, even in ministry and life in general, even how we raised our kids. Like, we just very seldom do we disagree on things like that, but man, the way we get there is so different. I mean, from point A to point B, you know, I'm pretty much a straight line. I just want to get there, and she's like, let's go on over here, and let's have a good time, let's just... You know, she's more the narrative. I'm more the, the systematic, you know. Um, even when our, our road trips, you know, we take a lot of road trips. We go to Ohio usually at least once a year. I got family up there. And I got this route we take, you know, and it takes around nine and a half hours to get there driving. And, and you know, I'm, I'm always thinking, like, maybe we can make it nine hours and 20 minutes. And, you know, she's like, why don't we stop for lunch and have a good time? And, hey, you know, there's a scenic overlook over here. Let's stop and take pictures. And I'm like... Why? I have lots of pictures of you, you know? <laughs> I just want to get to the destination. She wants to, you know, enjoy the journey. And so uh, we actually balance each other out well that way, if I'm honest, because we, uh, we approach it differently, but we always want to get to the same place. And uh, so anyway, we've been talking about light and what it looks like for us to be the light. You know, we've, over the last two weeks, I've talked about Jesus' light in us and then through us. We're talking about it individually in our lives. Today, we want to talk about it more corporately. And what that looks like for us as a church. Because Joy and I believe so strongly that as a church, that we are meant to make a difference in our community. 
I mean, and not just by having a really cool church service and hoping that people come. I've said it many times, guys, and I'm going to keep saying it. I believe those days are over for now. It may come back, but right now it's over. It doesn't matter how good you do church. There are people that aren't going to come, and that's not okay with us. It's not okay because we believe everybody deserves to hear the gospel. We believe everybody gets to have an experience with Jesus. And so that's going to mean that we as the body are going to have to be mobilized, that we're going to have to go out and we're going to have to reach our community. And his light is meant to shine through we, the people of the church. And, uh, you know, light is a very inviting thing by nature. I talked about this when we opened up this series that, you know, when it talks about, you know, coming into the light is a good thing. You know, the light at the end of the tunnel, it's a good thing. Uh, light is an inviting thing. Even in our church services, our lighting here in the, in the sanctuary, we talk about it all the time. Like, we want it to be inviting. We want it to look nice, and we want this, and we want that. But um, Jesus even said that he is the light. And then when he went back to heaven, he gave us the Holy Spirit and made us the light. Everything about light is inviting. In fact, your enemy, the enemy of your soul, even masquerades as light, according to 2 Corinthians 11. In verse 14, it says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And he does that on purpose because his desire is to deceive us. If he came as darkness, he would really be narrowing the field because most of us aren't drawn to darkness. Most of us are drawn to light. So even the enemy does this. He understands the meaning of light, that light is inviting for all of us. And God gave us his light as a community to be an inviting place for people to come and meet Jesus and to know Jesus in a personal way. And Joy and I have been looking at the word, and we believe the word really reinforces that thought that, that we are meant to be a light as a community, not just as an individual. We're not in this alone. We're in this as a group to be able to be a blessing to our community. And I just want to say today that I don't think the church in America has been doing a great job of this to reach our communities. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, we, we've been on both sides of the pendulum as the church. You know, we, there was a time where the church was so far over here, we were judgmental and we looked down on everybody. And so those far from God didn't want anything to do with the church because they just felt judged. And then some, a lot of us have swung all the way over to the other end where we don't talk about sin or we don't talk about the cross. We really water everything down because we just want everybody to feel comfortable. We don't want to upset anybody. If we do it nice enough, maybe they'll come and somehow God will still touch their heart. So we err on that side or this side. And when in reality, I think we're meant to be in, in, the, in the center where God will want us. And we use a plumb line to discover where the center is. And I believe God has a plan for us. And we're going we're gonna to lead you on a journey today hopefully to help you with that and to see our hearts too. So we're going to spend some time in the book of Acts to see some of the pitfalls that we can run into or fall into as a community. Yeah, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to um, Acts 21. I'm going to sum up a little bit here what's happening, kind of set Reagan up for the next part. But the cool thing about when when we're here collectively as a community, right, and we all have like communities that we live in, but God, when he's speaking in the word from the very beginning, God is all about community. Amen? He himself, think about it. He within himself is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like community, it just goes to show us we are not meant to live alone. We're meant to live in community. And we all have roots really somewhere in some way. And so um, we think about Paul. We're going to be talking about Paul today. And Paul actually encountered a situation where God used light. He was blinded for a temporary amount of time. And he, the Lord spoke to him, and he was converted, and the Lord told him he was this Jewish man to go. Now, when the Lord saved Paul, 
He did not change the fact that Paul was Jewish, did he? No, Paul was still Jewish by the fact he was, he was birth Jewish and he grew up in a Jewish community. But when Paul was converted by Christ, he actually, a lot changed about his world and a lot changed about what, how he would walk out his faith. And so what we're going to see today is a little bit of a tension. So Paul essentially gets saved. He ends up spreading the gospel, going on many missionary journeys. Now he's coming home to Jerusalem. He's um, maybe taking a sabbatical here. He's coming home to Jerusalem, and when he gets to the docks, uh, so to speak, he encounters a lot of his fellow believing Jews, ones that believe in Jesus and have been converted. And he is greeted really warmly by them. And they're so excited to see him. They're excited to hear the stories. But they actually are like, look, Paul, like we, we just need to warn you. There are rumors flying around about you and people are angry. There were people who young men, um, young Jewish men, young people at that time, people his own age, all the people were saying that Paul was saying now that the things that made them Jewish, the circumcision, all these different things, the things that, that really kind of um, spoke to their identity that Paul was speaking against, right? And so Paul, um, because Paul had converted Gentiles, and they had decided if you're converted as a Gentile, if you're not part of this community, you don't have to do the things that make us look like community together because those things aren't required for your faith. And so Paul kind of guarded that, but that made people think that Paul himself was kind of denying who he was, and that was frustrating to them. And so people were angry. A lot of Jews were saying that he was too Greek because he had been in other areas of the world, and they were saying that um, essentially he was too Gentile, and they were attacking his identity. So as Paul was recognized by some people in a crowd, they seize Paul, and they begin to beat him. They're kicking him. They're, wanting to, they're just wanting to kill Paul. And so Paul um, is seen by a Roman commander, and this Roman commander thinks that he's some Egyptian lunatic or some, some prophet that's going around saying a bunch of stuff. So he's like, yeah, seize him. He gets him, but then he realizes his identity gets straightened out, and they realize it's actually Paul. He's a Jewish citizen. And then Paul asks the, the Roman commander, he says, can I speak to the crowd? And then what's really cool is Paul would have been super educated. He was a very educated um, Jew. If, if I think like when, when Jews are growing up, who they even learn the law from, the things that make them Jewish, the customs, it's a big deal. So you could almost think of Paul as someone who kind of went to the Harvard of, um, of Jewish school or whatever. And so Paul begins, he gets up and he begins to address the crowd and he's going to tell his testimony. Reagan's going to share that with you. But what I found really interesting is when he gets up, he gets up and he, he starts to speak such Fluent um, Hebrew is flawless Hebrew that even some of the people in the crowd couldn't understand it because they didn't quite even know know it that well. And so they're only so the things are frustrated about. I think what Paul is trying to do is he's saying like, yes, I am Jewish. I am a Jewish man. Me coming to Christ didn't make my heritage different, but it made my life transformed. And that's what we're going to look at today. So Paul gets up and he starts to give his testimony. And uh, 
you know, many of you have probably done this in your own life, probably not under the same scrutiny as Paul did in this situation, but towards the end of uh, Acts 21, he starts to share uh, his journey, and he talks about how he persecuted Christians, that he hated Christians at first, and that he, was, he uh, made sure that they were uh, imprisoned and killed, and, and his goal in life was to stomp out this, this way that had just started and uh, then he tells them about his experience on the road to Damascus, where he had this incredible supernatural encounter with Jesus, where he saw a great light. Uh, interestingly enough, we're talking about light and how light is inviting. In this scenario, the light actually blinded him and put him in darkness for a moment so that he could actually live in the light. But for a while, for a minute, he was blinded, and he had to be taken by hand into Damascus where he went and he met with a, a guy named Ananias who prayed for him. God had told Ananias that Paul's going to be coming. He prayed for him, and he was completely healed. And Paul talks about how he, this was the moment where he converted from being against Christians to actually being a Christian himself. And uh, he's telling these, this crowd all about this, and they're listening to him. He's saying, you know, I'm a, um, I, God told me, spoke to me, and said I was going to be, I, he chose me to be his mouthpiece, that I was going to be a witness to all men about Jesus. And the crowd is listening to this, and they're fine with it for a while. And uh, I'm going to pick up reading, actually, in, in Acts 22, in verse 17. He says, so he was in Damascus, got prayed for, and he had to go back to Jerusalem. He said, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So remember, these guys are all listening to him talk all the way up to here. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. When Paul said, I was sent to go far away to the Gentiles, the crowd reacted in this way. It says, they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. As they were throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. So here we have this situation where Paul's telling them all that he's done, all that God has done in him. They're listening to him. They're, 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 I don't know if they're agreeing with him, but they're, they're okay with it at least. And when he says, I have been sent to the Gentiles, that was the trigger for this crowd. They said, that's enough. I mean, it's one thing for you to say Jesus spoke to you, even though we killed him. It's one thing for you to say that you had this light, you were blinded, somebody prayed for you, were healed, and that you're going to be a mouthpiece for God. It's one thing to say all those things, but to tell us that you're going to the Gentiles and that God told you to do that, this enraged them. Because if you know the Jews back then, they hated any Gentiles. They were their own pure race. God, they were God's chosen people. Gentiles were meant to be ignored or maybe used if you need them, but not to be saved not to be brought into the family of God. In fact, you know, it was a common prayer among rabbis. Part of their prayer that they would pray every day was to thank God that they're not a Gentile. And you've heard me say before, but there was, they, would, they were even told that if you uh, come upon a Gentile giving birth and you see that they're struggling, don't help them because if you do, you're just bringing another Gentile into the world. So they had this, this perception and this perspective of Gentiles. It was absolutely no way they could be in God's favor. And Paul says, well, actually, he's sending me to them. And this was when they lost their mind. And this was a trigger for all of them. It was a trigger. And what I find really interesting in all of that is that 
you know, when Reagan says that they're, they're praying these prayers that are insane, you know, about the Gentiles, their prayers are corrupted, really, because we know that if we're looking at the Old Testament, if you've read the Old Testament, maybe you haven't, but the Jewish people, the whole intention was that they were supposed to be, the other nations around them were supposed to be blessed through them. That doesn't sound like people who are positioned right, right, to do that. And so, so the very way that they pray, the, the very way they interpreted the blessing of the Lord was that the blessing the Lord gave them was supposed to be part of their culture and celebrated within it. And their problem really had to do with the fact that the gospel was supposed to be for the Gentiles in general. They, they didn't want the Gentiles to have it. They didn't love the Gentiles, especially if they're praying prayers like that. And so when they hear that um, that Paul, when he says that, that, God, that Jesus, I mean, they're not even bothered that he's like, you know, participating and approving Stephen's martyrdom, but he, they're, they're really frustrated whenever it, he says that Jesus told him to go. Because what that would do, if Jesus came and he died and he was resurrected and the Holy Spirit came and it, he came for the purpose of reaping, you know, you know the the Pentecost. It wasn't named for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, the celebration of Pentecost, it was actually a celebration that happened, and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. You know, I used to grow up thinking, oh, Pentecost is when, but it, it was long before that. And you know what? It celebrated the harvest. So it says to me, the Holy Spirit is linked to harvest. The, the Lord's very intentional. And so we see that the Holy Spirit comes at that time. And the thing is, is now, instead of etching more inward as a community and trying to figure out what, what other programs they can do to bless themselves and what kind of theology they want to have um, on the law that God had given them and how many more more rules they wanted to add to make their community what they wanted their community to be. What we see is the Holy Spirit comes, and now the Holy Spirit's being poured out, and what they are experiencing is trigger, 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 right? That's kind of a new buzzword, right? Trigger, I like that, because, you know, you know, even for Reagan and I, sometimes, you know, we argue, sometimes, and, you know, what we've noticed is we've put a little language to arguing as we've been married 20 years. And so sometimes, you know, some, something will get said or, you know, whatever in marriage, and all of a sudden it just triggers. There's a trigger. Well, why do we get triggered? Because something, there's something that is being said that makes us feel threatened. Either what we like, our comfort, something of that sort. Well, we are, we are people who get triggered. And trigger, being triggered isn't bad or good in and of itself. You know that? Like being triggered can have a negative connotation. Being triggered can have a really good connotation. I remember um, growing up here in Augusta and feeling like God had really spoken to me to, to go to Lee University. And I thought to myself, well, I can't go to Lee University. I mean, that's away from my mother. I'm an only child. Like I was, I was in a single parent home. I felt like I had to be, you know, emotionally supportive. I could not do that. And as the Lord moved 
moved in my heart and as I grew and um, just felt challenged, I ended up going to Lee University. Well, when I was at Lee University, we had an event one night that I wanted extra credit for a class. And so I went to it and they did um, a hunger banquet. And at this hunger banquet, they had invited a speaker to come in and talk about what we call now human trafficking. I don't, I don't know as if we had that word, but um, they were talking about the children in Bangkok. And they were talking about the sex trade there. And my heart was triggered in a major way. Now, why was my heart triggered? My heart was triggered because since I grew up in church and was old enough to assist a Sunday school or a children's church, I helped in, in kids' church. And I did that until I went to Lee College. And even at Lee, there were times I got, a, I got the opportunity to work with children, and I would do that. And so as I worked for children so many years, I really felt like, I mean, when I would look at kids, I would really think of, like, how much the Lord loved them. I pray over these children. So the thought that there were children in other nations, no one would be looking out for them, it triggered me, and it made me angry. So you know what it did? It, that trigger made me move. It made me get outside of my comfort zone because I thought, well, I'm responsible to do something, and I don't know what that something is. And so for me, that looked like at college, um, I just started like a, a, a prayer for the nations. Like there was this little group that prayed, and we'd meet, and we'd pray every, every week through this book about the nations. But I was like, it made me, I had to do something. And I didn't know what I could do, but I did know I could pray. And so I began that little group. And then eventually what happened is as I prayed, the Lord began to change my heart. And suddenly I was like, well, you know, I went to a convocation. There was a mission service, but I was primed and ready. And I thought, well, I have to go. Because the Holy Spirit in me is allowing me to see beyond myself because I was triggered in such a way. So here's the thing about triggers. Triggers will cause you to anchor in out of fear, or triggers will move you out in faith. And that's what we're seeing. Like we're seeing in this New Testament is, is this Jewish community is experiencing triggers all over, the, all over the place. And here's the thing. Triggers will oftentimes reveal our idols. We're not in the Old Testament, and we're not making gold calves and doing all the things that some of these pagan nations would do that would really influence the children of Israel, and they'd struggle with that. No, ours look like comfort, and they look like whatever makes us feel safe. That's what ours do. And the Bible talks about, like, idols. There's a scripture in the Word that talks about, um, what is it, everything that exalts itself. Help me with that since you're up here. Against the knowledge of God. Yeah, no, I know that was the oh. first part. <laughs> He's the Bible guru. Okay. See, I'm, I'm, riding, I'm riding all over here like that. But you know what? When the, in the Bible, when you read about the high things, oftentimes it's the high things are the idols in our life. And so that scripture is talking about like the things that are high, that we put high, they're exalting, they're, they're exalted over what God says. And we do it all the time unless we feel okay about it. And the church is individuals, but individuals make up churches, and churches are putting, putting things above the knowledge of God. So we're in a society where even our churches now 
the idols of the churches are being poked. And we're at a place where we are going to either anchor in and be an inward-focused community, or we are going to get fired up, and we're actually going to start to spread out and do the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So when we were studying this together, we, we started noticing that uh, um, you see how the, the, the Jews were triggered in this instance with Paul and they it kind of this mob mentality kind of arose and and they were really angry and frustrated and throwing dust in the air and they're saying he should die and and uh, you know the the mob mentality is a very scary thing and we started seeing that there's mobs all through the scriptures Old Testament and New where you see this mob mentality and and what you see in every one of those scenarios is that the mob is always flawed it's always a a negative thing and and we started I started thinking about how this actually looks like in the church today, that we, we kind of have this mob mentality in the church. Now, we're not the same kind of mob that was stoning people and stop, trying to stomp people to death, things like that. It's, in fact, in the, I guess in the current culture, probably a better term would be groupthink. You know, this, this, this thing of thinking together as a group and just kind of following the crowd. And what's happened in the local church is that nobody's really working hard to reach out, or not many are working hard to reach out. And so you just kind of get this apathetic attitude of like, well, this is how everybody's doing it. And that group think kind of takes us down this road where it becomes dangerous because we do, we become this inward focused church and inward focused people. And you know, the gospel is, is meant to come into us, but then it's meant to go out from us yeah. as people. And so uh, we, we started looking at these, these mobs and uh, I found a few that I just thought I would share with, you know, that, that kind of point to a uh, what that mentality looks like uh, for us in our life. And so the first one is that the mob will always take the easy way out. The group think will always take the easy way out. The group think is never about sacrifice. It's never about being intentional. It's never about denying self. It's always going to be about what's the easy way. What's going to be the path of least resistance for us? And uh, the, the story that I thought of immediately in the scripture, you have to go all the way back to the book of Numbers. And I mentioned this, this story a few weeks ago, actually. But uh, in Numbers, the children of Israel are getting closer to the promised land. God brought them out of Egypt, out of 400 years of slavery, brought them into the, prom into the desert, and they were about to go into the promised land. Moses sends 12 spies to go into the promised land to spy it out. And so they go in, they come back. Joshua and Caleb are like, this is the greatest thing ever, guys. I can't even tell you the grapes are so huge, you have to hold them with two hands, you know? They're thinking it's the greatest thing ever, and they're excited. The other 10... Not so much. The other 10 were very upset. They said, oh my goodness, these guys are giants. Their walls are fortified. Their cities are fortified. There's no way, no way we're going to be able to do this. And uh, we'll see here how they responded, what, the, what happened when they did that. Numbers 14. It says, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, this is the mob. This is the groupthink. This is a perfect example of groupthink. Here's what they said. If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now you and I look at this and go, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But that's what groupthink does. That's the mob mentality that it's going to always look for the easy way out. The irony in, is in all of this, that would have been the easy way out in the moment, 
But if they had gone back, they would have gone back to slavery. But see, the, the group think, the mob mentality is always going to look for what's easy in the moment. It's not going to think about what the long term looks like, what would be more fruitful in life. It's going to look at what, how it will affect me right now in my life. And it will cause us to forget the promises and the direction of God in our life. We could totally neglect it. We want to see the faithfulness of God in our life. We can't have the typical mob mentality in the group think when it comes to being the body of Christ. Because you won't see God. We want to see God's faithfulness before we step out. God says, Mm-mm, I want you to step out and I'm going to meet you there. That's how he works. That's how he works in your life and mine, church. You want to see his faithfulness before you step out. I'm telling you, you're wasting your time if that's what you're praying. Because he says, I want you to meet me there. It's got to cost you something too. It costs him everything. It's got to cost you something. And that's how he works. It's never about taking the easy way out. The, the second one was that the mob is selfish. Groupthink is never looking out for the good of the whole. Never. It's all about self. Which is ironic because you think as a group, you're thinking about what's best for the group. You're not. You're thinking about what's best for you if you're, if you're joining in to that mob mentality. Social media is a perfect example of how selfish we can be. It's all about how it makes us feel. You know, you can join in to the big hashtags that are trending, but it's still about how it makes you feel. Because if it makes if people like your post, then it makes you feel good. You're not worried about who's liking it. You just want your numbers, right? And social media kind of exasperates that in today's culture and makes us have this group think that's always selfish. It's always selfish. If, you're, if your social justice platform is just on social media, you're, you're wasting your time. Because hashtags don't do anything to change anybody's life. If we're really going to make change lives, we got to go into our communities and affect them for the glory of God. Because it's always going to be selfish. So you see that uh, there's a situation in, in Acts 19 where you see this on display. Uh, Demetrius was a guy that made statues. He was a silversmith. And he made statues of Artemis, who was a goddess. And he'd make these and sell them. And this was in Ephesus. And Paul comes into Ephesus preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved. And Paul's telling everybody, hey, Handmade gods are worthless. There's only one God. And if it's a handmade, it doesn't mean anything. So it's affecting Demetrius' business. So he gets together all these other people that are working in the same craft as him because they're mad because now it's affecting their pocketbook. And he gets them all together and tells them, hey, this Paul's doing this. It's affecting our business. And then in verse 29, he says this. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. And then skip down to verse 32. It says, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. That's a mob mentality right there. Well, they don't even know why we're here. Eh, whatever. Great is Artemis. Who's Artemis again? That's how it works. And it was, but, but the way this started with uh, Demetrius was all about selfishness. He didn't care that Paul was preaching the gospel. He didn't care if people got saved. It's affecting my wallet. No, no. Now you cross the line. And that's what, that, if, if we're not careful, we can even make that approach in our own life. I'm not saying we don't care about our communities because it might cost us something. I'm not talking about, this isn't about money. This is about what will it cost us even in our time, in our mindset, in our focus, and what we're willing to sacrifice. And if we're not careful, when we follow the, the mob mentality, we'll get caught up in being selfish, just like they were in this mob here. And, you know, we can make excuses all day about why we can't do more to be outward focused in our own life. But I can tell you, we all know 
we all have the money, the time, the energy, and the resources for what we care about. Every one of us do. So we really don't, we are without excuse when it comes to that. And thirdly, the mob is fickle. The mob is fickle. Groupthink is a model of inconsistency and flip-flopping. You see it, you see it in, the, in society, you see it on social media, you see it in the news, you see it everywhere, that it's, we just, whatever the flavor of the day is, you know, that's what's really exasperating cancel culture, is it's whatever is happening today, and then they're like, they're ready to cancel somebody two weeks later, you can't remember who that person's name is, because we're just, it's all over the place, it's fickle. I remember uh, being a kid, and um, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but when I was a kid, I watched WWE, back then it was WWF. And, uh, you know, they had villains and good guys, you know, and you always loved the good guys and you hated the villains. And eventually one, somebody would flip. They went from being a villain to a good guy and the guy you hated yesterday. Now you love him and you got to, you know, you're, he's your hero. And then vice versa. You have a good guy that does something and he becomes a bad guy and then you hate him. And, and, and the crowd just flips how, I mean, the, the, the leaders of this organization, the president, all the, the people that market this, they're, they're just controlling us. They're like, well, now you're going to like him because I'm going to make him nice. Tomorrow you're going to hate him because I'm going to make him mean. And they just, we just flip-flop. And that's a crude example of it, but that's really how we are if we are part of the mob. Because the mob will always, always be fickle. And you know the story in the Bible that represents this is, the, is easy. It's the low-hanging fruit. It's the one we've been talking about this month. Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. They're shouting Hosanna one day. Three days later, or five days later, they're yelling, crucify him. You know, because the mob is fickle. And it will always, always be that way. And we can laugh or, or joke about these, these Jews and how flip-floppy they were when Jesus came into town. But guys, we do it too. Amen. We do it too. We, we can come into church and sing about God's faithfulness and his goodness. And we talk about the promises of God or yes and amen. And we're excited. We're stirred up. Tomorrow morning, we're going, God, are you faithful? Are you faithful, God? I need you to show yourself to me, God. And we can get in our feels. And, we can, and that's even without the group thing. That's just in our personal life. But if the group, the community is working together the way it's supposed to be, that's actually an advantage for us because when we're struggling, someone else can lift us up. And when they're struggling, you can lift them up. I've had a tough couple weeks and, and my board has been texting me every day telling me they're praying for me. They're lifting me up. And I can feel it. And I appreciate it. And that's, what, that's how it's designed to be for us in community. If the pandemic has showed us how fickle the mob is, even in the church, guys, even in the church, Statistically, they're saying that 25 to 40% of churchgoers that were regular church attenders before the pandemic will never come back to church. And I'm not talking about the ones watching online. I'm talking about not, they're gone. 25 to 40%. Now that tells me that it was, they were, it was meeting a need for them in the moment. Maybe there was appeasing their conscience. Maybe whatever it was, they got out of the habit of church and they're gone. A lot of people are gone. And if, if, if they get part of that group think, that mob mentality where it's like, well, that's what everybody's doing, so it's no big deal. I'm not going to worry about it either anymore. God forbid that the gospel, that going to church would be a habit for us. This, should, this is our life, you know, giving ourselves to community for the sake of the gospel. Praise God. We don't ever want to get in the, in the uh, mob mentality when it comes to that. So the mob is fickle. So what we want to do is we want to leave you with a challenge today as, as the church because we do want to be a church that is looking out. And so we're going we're gonna to challenge you this morning. That's right. And here's the thing. Not every group is a mob. What makes a mob a mob is, is a group of people 
who are responding to emotion. We all know we don't have to respond to emotion. It's good to look at it, but it's not good to respond to it. And there are groups in the Bible that were not mobs, who were groups of people who, who, like if you, I think we were talking not too long ago about the Bereans in our Wednesday night thing. And, um, you know, the Bereans they said that they were, they were excellent. They were good because they tested every word that Paul and, and the disciples, when they, when they preached, they tested it. Does it line up with the word of God? right? And so we have got to be able to, as groups of people, check our groups and say, what makes us not a mob? What makes us um, a church that is right on in the heart of God is a church that follows the Bible. And listen, there's a lot of churches who are all about the emotion. The win is the emotion. I've been in churches where if if somebody says something is from God, we don't even question it because how do we know, you know? We live, we live where it's either we don't believe in, the, in the, the pouring out of the Spirit or we believe that it's untouchable and nobody can say anything about it. And that's not true either. And both of, both of those groups have got to go back to the Word and say, is this the Word of God? Because what we do is we get carried off into bad theologies, and then we position ourselves. Because I'm not talking to a group of people who don't believe in God, per se. I'm talking to what is the triggers for a group of people who love God. What is going to keep us from being the church, the churches in, in Revelation that don't get it, who are carried off, who are deceived? It is the Word of God. It is not responding to this world because let me tell you, I don't think that social media is the devil. I don't. But I do think that it is easy to have a mob mentality on there because what you do is you're constantly responding. And I do it too. I'll, I, sometimes I go on there and I'm like, oh, it just broke my heart. Or sometimes I get fired up and triggered, right? And I just walk away, just walk away, you know. Hopefully we all do that. But here's the thing. God has a purpose for his church, the big church. Not, not just New Hope, the big church. And we have got to know the truth because it is the truth that sets us free. We've got to know the truth because it is the truth that sets the world free. And we've got to be people of the word who know the word because the time is dark. God has put you on this earth in a very dark time. Not on accident. And where the darkness is, the light will shine all the more and you are called to be the light. And let me tell you, it is no time to sit and just think about what the word says. Don't be just, you know, just don't think about the word. Just know what the word says. James says, be doers of the word. Well, what does the word say? Do. The word says go. You know, we have, we have these three things happening when it comes to, to Christ. Is that he came to save us. So as people in the church, first and foremost, that foundational, that foundational step is really salvation, right? But then the Bible says that 
It, it was for freedom that Christ came to set us free. So not only are we just saved for eternity, and we're, we're saved from all the junk that we've lived in and all the lies we've thought and all the fear that cripples us. Amen. Man, we're free people. But then not only are we free now, and this is where it gets a little hairy for us, but we are people commissioned. You know, when, when Paul there says that, that Jesus told him to go, essentially the law was given to them. One, it was leading up to Jesus. So they'd recognize the Messiah's come, everything you've been doing, this is what's... But then there were also, if you read Leviticus and you think, wow, this is really weird. They're telling us a lot of stuff. Like there's a lot of like how to take care of sores, how to deal with thieves in your home. Like it's, they, they have a lot of different things going on. But you know why? It's because God was also, had also called them as a Jewish people to be a light to the nations, to be a blessing to the nations. And so if they were going to do that, God was going to have to tell them what living looked like, what a loving community looked like, all the way from taking care of their sores and not, not spreading disease and germs, all the way from that to how to take care of when people do something wrong to how you should have relationships in your family. They were going to have to be a light. So not only was the law to tutor them and show them what it was going to be like when Jesus came so they recognize him. The law was going to be the, the, the teacher for them on how they were going to live and love the world. But what happened is, is the Jewish community just took the rules and they just embraced it. And they just thought, this is awesome. And we'll just add a few because we think we got a few ideas. And so they started to do that. And before too long, they were just all about their programs. They were a group of people called, but they were just sitting, doing nothing, but judging each other in a miserable group of people. And if we're not careful as the body of Christ, what's going to happen is we're going to be the same way. And sometimes I feel it. There is a tension on us gathering together and worshiping. I think that's spiritual warfare, even just the teaching of the word, you know, I, I feel like there's this tension between doing that and making sure everybody gets what they want out of a Sunday. And, and I even feel it like there's this tension, do what people want, do what people want. And yet at the same time, nobody is breaking down the wall of the doors, calling constantly. We've got to win the loss. That's what the Bible says. So let me tell you, church, identify, because the church, I'm telling you, it is not staff. The church isn't about a staff. The church isn't about what we're doing, and you, you guys just, just maybe come to see it, come to hear it, come to give to it. The church is its people, and the, the leadership and the programs and the things the church does is only as good as the passion that people have to see the gospel fulfilled and taken hold of the, the earth. And so it's, it's the collective. And so we have to wake up. We have to identify what is my trigger? What is it that I am so afraid of letting go of? What, what is it that I don't want God to touch? Because if he touches it, it's going to mean, you know, that's what the enemy did in the Garden of Eden with Eve. It was propaganda. It was. It was a bunch of question marks. Is God good? You know, I used to think when I was single... You know, like if I really gave my singleness to God, I was going to be alone or have to marry a really ugly man, you know? <laughs> Obviously, that's how God is. 
No, he's not like that. Obviously, right? Um, I'm not sure which one I am, to be honest. <laughs> but God is good. You have a good father. You have, you have a God that dreams over you. He created you. He knew you in the womb. There's nothing to be afraid of in Christ. That's right. It's all freedom. All freedom sounds good. We talk about freedom so much, and, and we're living in a world that's less free than, than I know. I don't know what that means, but, you know. So let's pray. I want you guys to really, like, think in your heart. This is what this week, this is what it's been for me. God, what is my triggers? What are the things that make me nervous? Because you know what? Some of the things that made me nervous when I was younger, they don't make me nervous anymore because I've tasted and seen the Lord is good. So the enemy can't come at me with those lies. But you know what he will do? I'm a mama. What if God tells my kids to go away? What if God does this? What if God, what if God has plans for my kids that aren't the plans I want? Whoa. That's an idol. These kids are, are the Lord's kids. My, my life, everything that I'm built on belongs to the Lord, and everything is good in him. So, so I, I want to ask you guys to stand, and I want you to, to, in this time where we begin to pray, really begin to search your heart and ask the Lord, like, what are, what are the things I'm the most scared of? Because they're indicators of where we need to be trusting the Lord with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. There are areas where we, we have the potential to have the most freedom. The places that I was scared in and now the Lord's freed me, they're the places I enjoy the most. So the very area where you may be afraid or you may have fear, God may say that is the very place that you're going to stand and just sing and just shout and just be super excited because those are the places where you know there was darkness, but then God came and gave a great light into that place. So God, we thank you for your spirit. Lord, we thank you, God, that you have empowered us as a church, Lord, to go. Manning before that, just giving, God, giving your son Jesus to us. Jesus coming to die on a cross, taking our sin, all the not good things we would do, the destruction, the darkness, the things, the shame. All of that, taking it upon himself, dying, but then raising again. Awesome. That we would be free, that we would have life and have it abundantly. And now, God, we stand in the power of your spirit. And we know that if we say yes to your go, and Lord, we're not anchored in to our issues and we're not anchored in to our fears and our comfort. But if we say yes to the go, that we will have life and we will have it abundantly in you. And, Lord, that if us is new hope, God, I believe the promises that you have spoken over this house. I believe that this city will be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it will never happen, Father, if we cling to our idols, if we cling to our comfort. God, we must go. And you will show us how to get there. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Here's the thing, church, like 
I didn't jump from leaving Augusta and, and going on missions and doing all these great things for the Lord that I'm so privileged that I get to say are part of my story. It started because I trusted the Lord that I might even be able to just go away for one year to college. And then, and then it was I trusted the Lord that I didn't even love to pray out loud, you know. But I'm starting a prayer group. I trusted the Lord maybe if I just opened that other people pray. But we just had to do something. And then, so it's not like I take a step here and I'm at the exit door, right? And for all of you, there is a, a simple step that God will lead you gently in and he will show you what to do because we are not in heaven yet. And if you don't feel, if you, don't, if you haven't had fruit, if you haven't shared your faith, if you aren't doing something and you haven't in a while, there is something that's being protected because it is not natural to sit in your relationship with Christ. That is very unnatural. Because the gospel compels us to go. Amen. Amen. You know, um, I, I just wanted to say in closing that some of you may be looking at me thinking, well, you know, that's great. You know, if the, the church is, needs to be mobilized and to be able to go out. And, you know, as a church, as New Hope, we haven't, we're not doing a lot in the community. We're definitely doing what we can, but because of this pandemic, obviously we've scaled back a lot of what we had done in the past. And so there's not a lot of opportunity for us as a church right now. But I want you to know that we are absolutely gearing up towards that, that we are looking to the fall to be able to give us all opportunity to be able to make an impact in our community. That we, are, we do want to be an outward focused church. And we, we believe we're taking this time of, of social distancing and all of this to prepare ourselves and to gear up. And I just, I encourage you to take this time to just pray and ask God, what are my triggers? What, what would hold me back from really being someone that would reach out and, and live a life that's more outward focused? I, and I'll say, you know, we're, we're connected with ministries that, that are doing that type of thing. The bridge, we're still connected with them, obviously, and they meet under the bridge every other week. There's, there's areas where you can get involved if you want to. Um, but I want to tell you as a church, we're going to be much more mobilized coming this fall. And so we just want you to be ready for that. Uh, because we do expect that you would want to be involved because the gospel compels us to go. So uh, just be looking out for that. We'll be talking about that more in the future too. So uh, we do love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for allowing us to come up here and share with you this morning. And, and uh, we really pray that you would have a wonderful, wonderful day.